0: What's up, guys? Alex here, AJNashville.com, here with Mr. Good Evening, Luis. What's up, guys? What's going on? <laughs> anyway, so most of you know that I am a mortgage lender. Today's episode has kind of been sparked off of things that we experience. You know, when you do a lot of a volume and work with a lot of different people, you start to see some similar trends throughout people, and most of those trends are just when people don't have the right direction or maybe they're not guided the, the proper path on how to get documentation, things like that.
1: Or they're guided the wrong direction.
0: The wrong Given
1: the wrong answers.
0: And that's something that you commonly see. I mean, we saw it yesterday. There was a client who was working with another lender, and um, they got qualified based on what? Stated income is what the email said. And stated income is something that went away a long time ago. That's where a client basically tells you how much they make. You write it down. You take their word for it, and you qualify it based off that. Now we verify income. So this individual is qualified based on a false pretense, and they set this person up for what they thought was going to be success, which ultimately would have ended up in failure. But guess what we did? We fixed it, right? With the correct numbers, we just found a way to fix it. Right. So as a mortgage lender, as I'm sure most of you are aware, uh, I am a branch manager for a mortgage company called Benchmark Mortgage. We are based out of Plano, Texas. Luis is my production partner. So this episode is going to be around that. That's not something I typically do, but I really feel like some information needs to get in the hands of those people who are looking to purchase a home. Maybe you can get a non-biased third-person opinion. Maybe a different loan officer has shared this podcast with you. This way you can kind of hear it from somebody else's mouth other than that person's mouth. You know, Third-party affirmation is usually a big thing. Mm -hmm. I do want to say that whatever I discuss in this particular episode is based on my opinion and solely on my opinion or my professional experience. So take that for what it's worth, right? Don't come back and sue me. Oh, it's worth a lot, buddy. But don't come back and sue me and be like,
1: Alex told me to do this. I listened to his podcast. He said, send it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... A couple of things, you know, and Luis is on the front line of this. That's the thing is Luis gets to see a lot of this stuff. And as being a new individual in the mortgage industry, he's seeing these things and he's like, bro, what's up with this? And we kind of make sense of some things, some things we point and laugh at, some things we just shake our head to. So a couple of those things I want to talk about. When you are buying a home, please, always, always. Leave your assets where they're at. How many people have we had where they start Uh, moving money around? Alex, what's an asset? So an asset is the funds that you may be using to purchase a home. They may be funds that you're using to show that you have the funds available to even buy a home. Oh, so
1: these are funds that are sitting under my mattress.
0: Possibly. Not all the time. No, they shouldn't be sitting. So the thing is, is they have to be sourced, meaning that we have to know where they're coming from. Are they coming from U.S. Bank, Bank of America, SunTrust? Are they coming Uh, as a gift? So they need to be in my bank account. They need to be in your bank account or in a verifiable source. I mean, they can be in an investment account. We just have to be able to look and say, hey, this is where this came from, and this is how long it's been there, and it's not a large deposit. They didn't run down the road and get a personal loan from XYZ Bank and put it in their bank account. Now they're utilizing new debt to capture new debt. Now that is something that you can do, but that's a little more in-depth. We'll get into that on a totally different podcast. This is literally buying for the most basic people in the most basic scenarios. You know, this isn't going to cover every single scenario that's out there because there are thousands of them. There's, yes, there are. You've seen creative ways that we get things done. So, yes, so your assets. If you have money in an account and you move it, we have to now see the new account. So don't get upset when we come to you and say, hey, you moved the money from checking to savings. Now we need two months worth of this account as well or one month depending on the program to show where those assets were transferred and to show that you didn't have a big deposit in this account and put it in that account. Um, How about the sale of things? This is a new one that you ran into, right? When a person goes and they sell something, you know, as much as this is fraudulent I know it takes place more times than people would like to admit, and we know it's wrong, and people that are doing it know it's incorrect. But if Luis, I sell you a car and the car is worth ten thousand dollars, what do some people do from time to time?
1: Well, Alex, I bought that car for you from you for a thousand dollars. You didn't buy tax, it from me for tax purposes.
0: <laughs> you didn't buy it from me, but yes, yeah, so what you see is somebody alter the information on the back of a title, which in turn creates an issue because of the fact that you have now not been able to source those funds that you may have collected from the sale of that that vehicle. You
1: mean you can't take a you, – you can't look at that and say, okay, we're good to go?
0: We're good to go. Yeah, no? we're good to go to prison. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> at that point, you're either defrauding one to two people or both. You're either defrauding the mortgage company by trying to show that you've collected more assets from something you sold than you actually did, or you're defrauding the state in which that vehicle is being licensed in and not getting the correct amount of sales tax collected for that. So it's very important that all your documentation lines up. If you sell something, make sure you document it properly. Make sure you're able to, to show, and this was kind of a new-ish one, show ownership of the item that you sold. You know, that's the uh, – I was talking to another loan officer yesterday, and they had made mention that, you know, their client had sold a TV and a microwave and a couple other things, and underwriting was saying, well, do we have proof of ownership? I don't know about you, but I don't have the receipt for my microwave. But I still have the box. You got the, um, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to assets, my biggest thing is get together with your loan officer, let them explain to you what it is that needs to be done in order to put those things into motion and document it properly. At this point, if you're this far in the process and you're looking to buy a home, your loan officer should be a person that's versed and knows what's going on. They should be able to advise you properly and you have to listen. That's the greatest thing is most people don't fucking listen.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, people need to carry around a little notebook and take notes. Take Either notes. Either that or, I mean, hell, everybody has a freaking iPhone or a,
0: Not a even smartphone. That. Take notes in your phone. The biggest thing is just listen. You don't even have to write it down. Just listen. Like just if I listen. tell you, hey, don't quit your job while you're doing this. Do you know how many people I've talked to that are other loan officers and they're like, bro, you'd never believe this, but my client quit their job today and they're supposed to be closing this afternoon. And I'm like, what? Like people just vacate their job. And that's a problem because everything is based off that source of income. And then you up and leave. You don't have verifiable income anymore. No, you don't have a home loan the day of. The best one. Hey, I thought I would buy a new car to go with this new home. And you look at it. And you're like, man, that's a pretty small car to live in for the next thirty years because that's what you're going to be doing, <laughs> <laughs> because you've acquired a seven hundred dollar a month payment. You know, we, now you
1: don't qualify for a home,
0: right? So, you know, the big thing we see this quite often: student loan debt's out of control, car debt is out of control. How many people have you seen that they make three thousand dollars a month and their car payment seven hundred dollars a month? Like it's unreal when you see this. So,
1: yeah, but then they complain about a, you know, thirteen hundred dollar a month. Home payment on a $200,000 home. You remember,
0: like, you remember that client? Hold that on I, a second. You remember here. the client that I pointed out there paid $1,000, $1,100 a month for car payments, but only wanted a $1,300 a month house payment? Like you have to set a realistic expectation. You know, I saw a post not too long ago, and somebody had made mention to the fact that um, housing is not affordable anymore. And mm-hmm. the housing price may have changed. It may have went up. I can agree when some people say, you know, the wages haven't necessarily caught up with the price of things. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I can't look at the Cadillac of homes if I have a cavalier budget, you know? And some of that has to do with my expectations as a home buyer. I can't go in with a cavalier budget and expect to have granite countertops and hardwood floors and 3,000 square foot and a fenced in backyard sitting in Williamson County, Tennessee. Like those things don't just line up. So, in that case, the expectation exceeds what the budget is, and we have to make proper adjustments to make sure that those things kind of align. Um, and that's something you know, you have people that come in all the time and they say, Hey, I want an $800 a month payment. Okay. No problem. I'll
1: get you a $70,000 home.
0: <laughs> right. Did you mean $800 including taxes and insurance, or did you just mean $800 like base? And based?
1: that are questions that we have to ask because I've ran into that before. Like, oh, yeah. oh you want a $1,300 a month payment? No problem. Yeah. And I do. forget to ask the question, hold on. Is that mortgage insurance and taxes included? Is that total? Hold on.
0: Wait. <laughs> right. It's so, not possible. I'm sorry. No, it's not. Uh, there, there's things that are possible, but at the end of the day, the math has to work out. Math is math at the end of the day. And that's what we're here for, to make sense of that math. There's a lot of factors that most people don't take into account. But when you do so many of these in a month-to-month basis, a lot of those numbers become average numbers. You know that in certain areas, in certain price points, taxes are going to be around this amount. I mean, you could even narrow it down if you looked up a property profile. But initially, when you're qualifying somebody, you don't have that information in front of you. The other thing that I caution people on is getting into the most expensive house that they can afford. How many times have we pre-approved somebody and we say, hey, you qualify for a max of 300." and then they call you back and say can i go 305 and then 305 turns to 315 and 315 turns to 320 and it just gets out of control you know we're obviously trying to avoid any type of housing crash or anything like that in the future you know anything that closely resembles what happened in 2008 we're trying to stay away from but part of doing that as a loan officer if i can get you an automated approval and all your documents make sense i can't turn to you and say no sir you cannot buy this home right it's not i mean i'm going against what my licensing and ethics and everything else states. You know. Now,
1: since we're along the lines of um, payment, mm-hmm. right? What consists of a home payment, a mortgage payment, and generally speaking?
0: Generally speaking, it depends on the loan type. So, your basic loan type. Let's talk about a conventional loan. You're talking about your principal and interest, which is the dollar amount that is the amount that you're getting financed plus the rate included in that number. So you're talking about principal and interest, which is a payment that if you have a fixed rate mortgage, that payment will never change. It'll stay the same for the the term of the loan. Right. Then you have your taxes, which is property taxes. So whatever the governments and local uh, city and county taxes, whatever they charge, it is what it is. That number can change and frequently does change just depending on what the house assesses for. Bear in mind that in a new construction situation, your property may not be assessed. And so you may not know what the taxes are. Now, I say this specifically speaking about the state of Tennessee because some states will assess the property based on the purchase price. So if you sell a home for $300,000, it is now taxed at the $300,000 uh, mark. California is one of those states. The next is your homeowner's insurance. Homeowner's insurance protects the property. So you have protection on against pearls like fire, theft, flood uh, I don't want to say flooding, that's outside my scope. But you you have protection as far as the structure and contents in most cases is concerned. I do recommend that you speak with a licensed insurance professional when you're working out the details of what your policy covers, and I just say that for disclaimer purpose. And then next, if you don't put 20% down or if you're not in a particular program that does not have mortgage insurance, there are programs out there which will roll the mortgage insurance in, things like that, but a standard loan with less than 20% down, then you have mortgage insurance. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, and this is easy to confuse, this is not something that is very clear cut. You have mortgage insurance and you have homeowner's insurance, right? And a lot of people think, well, I already have mortgage insurance. Why do I need homeowner's insurance or vice versa? Mm
1: -hmm. The
0: mortgage insurance protects the lender in case of default from the client. Default? Default means if I can't pay it. If you can't pay, you can't stay, and the lender gets it back. Ah, okay. So when the lender gets it back, they file a claim against that insurance, and then they recoup some. In some cases, not in all cases, but they, they have an opportunity to recoup some of their costs back that it cost that that they had lost with extending the credit. Um, now there's variables like anything. What we spoke about is just a standard conventional loan. You know. But there's obviously FHA products out there. There's USDA, which they call their – what I would consider to be a mortgage insurance type. It's referred to as a, a service fee. Or if you're a veteran, um, you have what's called a VA guarantee, and the guarantee is guaranteeing the lender in case of default that they will pay whatever is lost through that process. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm so, asking you these questions as as if I'm a client.
0: No, no worries. I, mean, I know
1: the I know the answers, but I, I think this is a good general question that they would want to know.
0: It is, and it's very educational for the person on the other side. Here's the thing, and and this is what we lose being mortgage professionals. We forget we do this five, ten, twenty, twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty times. You know, a month or every six months or a year, whatever the case is, whatever you know level producer that you are. Whereas most of the buyers do this once every five years or sometimes once in a lifetime or it's their first time. Mm-hmm. And we forget that we have to bring this down to a level where we're all on the same page. You know, And, and that means that we have to take some of the terminology we use, DTI, LTV, CLTV, you know, words like that.
1: Right. So we have to educate
0: these people. Absolutely. I every think that's, single time. That's the number one job. And this is my biggest pet peeve when it comes to other loan officers and the experience they provide their to their clients, and I'm not saying all loan officers, but some, we don't take the time to educate and let the client know exactly what it is that's going on, and so you provide a negative experience, so when they talk about their last mortgage, they have nothing but bad things to say as professionals, especially professionals that are compensated at a very high level, this is something that we need to bear in mind and this is something that when we're going through the process, we need to be educational. we need to say, hey. Luis, the next step of your process is the appraisal. The appraisal does not determine if the collateral is in sound condition. What it determines is the value of the collateral. If you're wanting an inspection to make sure that the collateral is in great condition, then you need to reach out to House on the Rock Home Inspections and have them go through and make sure that that property is structurally sound and the integrity of that property is there. Now, I mentioned House on the Rock. That's my buddy, Dave Granatra. Obviously, you're free to use whoever you want. I do often recommend home inspections are done on homes. You know, one of the other things that we'll roll into now is title. People don't realize the actual value of title. Now, title is something that is done to make sure that the chain of title is clear, meaning that there's no lien that encumber the title this way when it transfers to a different servicer. There's not something that is due to an individual that has performed work or a judgment or the government or anything like that on the title, meaning that you receive the property and it is your property with the lien from the lender on it. Speaking of title companies, we use one called Broker, Title, and Escrow. They're incredible. They take care of our veterans. They make sure that they have a great experience at a reduced cost. If you are interested in using them, 615-986-2213. Let Greg and his team know we sent you. You're the man, Greg. You are the man. But that title insurance ensures that if Bob the Builder comes back in six years and says, hey, I put the roof on that house, and I've got a lien against your property for $6,000, and I haven't been paid, the title insurance kicks in, takes care of Bob the Builder, as long as that debt wasn't or that lien wasn't placed on title from something you had done. If it was, then you're ultimately responsible for it. But if it was from a past... Situation, then that title insurance would kick in and clear that. So, what other questions do you got there, Luis?
1: I don't know. I've kind of asked the ones that I've generally heard here recently.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, don't quit your job, don't change the job, don't run up your credit cards. If you got a credit card, Leave that thing at a low balance or whatever balance it's at. Like you have to almost freeze everything you're doing. It's literally a 30-day, 45-day process. You know, people ask me all the time, how quick can you close loans? I can close them in 10 days if we have to, you know. Oh,
1: yes.
0: If it's a press, we can get it done. But I can also close them in 45 or 60 or 90 or 120 if we need to. Do I need
1: credit if I'm going to finance a home?
0: you don't always necessarily need credit. There is a program. There's a couple of different programs that allow for a person to have what we call alternative trade lines, which is other sources to prove that you are credit worthy. They can be insurance, cell phone bill, rent history, things like that. It just depends on what the lender requires and what the program calls for. So there are other alternatives for people that say, I'm not getting into debt just to get into debt. Okay. Don't run down and get a chase card just to buy a house find a lender that's willing to do alternative trade lines. That's always an option. Um, there's a belief that every every deal requires 20% down. Not true. No, You can get into a home. Some homes in certain areas that are approved by certain loan types will allow you to get in a home with zero down. If you're a veteran or active duty military, you can get into a loan with 100% financing as long as you have um, received that eligibility. And what I mean is, you know, If you haven't had the time served or if you're a National Guard with less than six years and no Title Ten orders, things like that don't necessarily make you instantly eligible for a VA home loan. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Have you used your VA home loan? Never. We're going to use it. Oh, I know. We're going to use the hell out of it. Oh, we're going to use it big time. <laughs> so. I want
1: that little funding fee, though.
0: Well, and that's the and that's, other thing. It's
1: increasing next year.
0: It is increasing with the, the new bill that's coming out. We'll dive into that in another conversation. You know, I think that we need to bust this up into several parts because these are things that as first-time home buyers they really need to be aware of, you know, the credit standards. You'll have some companies that say, if you don't have a 640 credit score, we can't do a loan for you. That's not true. Each lender has their own kind of guideline of minimum credit score. If you are in a position where maybe your credit's not the best, but you're recovering from something like a divorce or an accident or something like that, and you've proved that you have maintained what we call credit fitness, you know what credit fitness is? When I'm you, lifting you, weights. You're, when you're lifting weights. You're like, yeah. No, credit fitness is is demonstrating the ability to pay your bills on time, basically. Right. You're, you're doing this on a consistent level. So there are programs for people out there. There's tons and tons and tons of good lenders out there. Um I'm the type of person that believes in, in shopping local. You know, I'd rather spend my money locally, if, if at all possible. So check out your local lenders. Your local lender may have some connections that will actually leverage your positioning when it comes to submitting an offer. You know right. many people we've had where I've reached out and they're like, yeah, I know who you are. We'll, go, we'll accept it based on that merit. I don't know if that's illegal or predatory. Or <laughs> I no, don't think it is, but it's, it's just all. they know that you're, they're working with a verifiable and certifiable... Badass. So, all right. Well, I do want to thank everyone for tuning in. Like I said, we're going to break this down into several different podcasts. I think this information is something valuable. We're not going to make this a marketing piece or make it something that, hey, use me. I'm your local home lender. We've had 147, 48, this will be like 149 episodes. We haven't done it to you yet, but I really think that there's some knowledge that needs to get out there and get in front of you. If you have questions, feel free to always send me an email or send me a private message. Hey, me too. Send Luis one. That'd be fun. Yeah, send Luis one. Luis, go ahead and give him your email.
1: L-U-I-S dot A-G-U-E-R-O at benchmark.us.
0: Or... You can shoot me an email at AJ at benchmark.us. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for your support. We hope you have a great weekend. Also, take a moment, say happy birthday to my son Lincoln. He turns three tomorrow.
1: Oh yeah, we're gonna have a party, baby. I
0: gotta, I gotta wrap up some gifts. So I'm leaving. Yeah, whatever. All right, see ya.